and to be perfectly honest, setting up a tent in the rain while feeling really sick isn't actually the most pleasant experience, and I wouldn't recommend it to most people. But once the sun came out the next day, and we were hitting the beaches, and we were able to do that sort of stuff, I was able to enjoy myself, even though I was still a long way from full health, and that remained true, really, for the next week or so. And when we came back uh, from our holiday, and I started catching up with people, and we would inevitably discuss our holidays, I found myself in this strange position where I had to find a way to talk about my holiday from two completely different angles, two different perspectives that really felt like they were at odds with each other. On the one hand, it was and is very easy to describe our holiday as excellent. We had such a good time. The weather was fantastic. We swam every single day except for the arrival and departure days. In fact, we swam twice most days, and we even managed on two occasions the rare and sought-after three swim days, where you swim in the morning and the afternoon and the evening at three different locations. We introduced the kids to two new swimming spots that they'd never been to, despite the fact that we go to Golden Bay every year. And all of that is 100% true. It was a fantastic holiday. But that really only represents one track of my journey. Because on the other track, which I could choose to talk about and I have told people about, I was recovering from this fairly heavy illness. I was coughing, I was hot, I was tired, I was fatigued, I was congested, I was sore, I was blowing my nose so much that you, know, you had the whole red, sore nose for, for three weeks. And all of that was also true. My holiday had these two separate paths, but they weren't one after the other, they were happening simultaneously. They were both a part of my time away. They both impacted how I felt and how I reflect on it. And so in my last couple of days at Pahara, I was walking along the beach and reflecting on my holiday and thinking about the year ahead. And I was thinking about how often that is true in our lives, including in our faith, that while it is tempting to think about life and our Christian walk as a series of mountaintops and valleys, or a series of battles and blessings, more often than not, we're actually experiencing those things simultaneously rather than sequentially. So as I was preparing for this message to share with you as we start the year and lead into 2024, I felt there were actually two different things I wanted to share. And at first they seemed quite opposite, at odds with one another, but I realized they are simply two different tracks that may be happening at the same time. Hopefully this will all make sense as we go through it. So let's start exploring the first idea. I want to read a passage from Genesis 5. It's a longer passage. I won't put it up on the screen. I'm just going to read it quite quickly, and you'll understand why in a moment. But Genesis 5, verses 3 to 31. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. You can say it along with me if you like. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. 
After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel lived 60... That's quite hard. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. Where am I up to? When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years and then he died. Who loves reading genealogies? Isn't that just your your favorite part? I'm going to need a drink of water after that, actually. I'll be really honest. They're not usually my favorite passages of Scripture. But as I was reading this particular passage while I was in the tent at the beach, there were a few things that stood out to me. And the first one is pretty obvious. These guys lived a long time. Like 800, 900 years, that's not a bad effort. And then I noticed this one. If you weren't the firstborn child, you were just an other. <laughs> Any other others here in, this, in the room this morning? Yep, okay. Talk about getting a complex. Like, Brianna, you wouldn't even... I, I had Ethan and some other sons and daughters. Sorry, Brianna. Sorry, Lucas. You wouldn't even get a name in there. The next thing I noticed is directly related to the ages. This is just me being quirky right now. If you follow through all the generations and count up all the years just as they're written in this passage, then Adam was 874 years old when Lamech was born. That means that Adam had 56 years to spend with his great, 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 great grandson. Think about that. In fact, in this list of all these generations, all of them were still alive at the point that Lamech was born. So can you imagine the family barbecues with nine (laughs) generations of people? The mind boggles just a little bit. I doubt Adam, like like you can, you know, it's like, now are you my, are you my grandson's son or my great grandson's son? Where do you fit? You know, like just trying to keep up with all the names would have been quite amazing. It's very difficult for us in our day and age and lifespans to comprehend that. But it doesn't really matter. That was just an aside. But the fourth thing that stood out to me in this passage is much more relevant to what I want to focus on today. In all those people, in all those generations, the brief descriptions of their lives are kept to an identical pattern. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years and then he died. 
Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. All these people lived a certain number of years, and then they died. They lived, and then they died. I'm sure you're all thanking me for my remarkable insight. <laughs> Those are my two points, if the worship team could come up. No. They lived, and then they died. That's the description. They were born, they had some children, and then they died. I don't think it's telling us there's a causality there, but maybe. Is that too much? Okay. Generation after generation after generation, the description is the same, the pattern is the same, except, of course, for one name in the middle of the list, this man, Enoch. In Genesis 5, 21 to 24, he gets just a few more words about his life. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Here's an interruption in the pattern. Enoch didn't just live and then die. Enoch lived walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more. I'm not going to try and focus on the he was no more part today, although that is fascinating and, and really amazing, but it's the walked faithfully with God part that really grabbed my attention when I was reading this passage. And it's so attention-grabbing, isn't it? Because the other eight lives are all described in the same way. They have the same pattern, and then this one name, this one life, has these few extra words, this added descriptor that really draws your eye, he walked faithfully with God. He walked, he lived his life, he went about his day-to-day -day existence with God. It doesn't mean that all the others ignored God or never spent time in his presence or had no relationship with him, but, God, but Enoch clearly had found the key to faithfully walking with God throughout every part of his life. I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, if I had the choice between he lived and then he died, or he lived and he walked faithfully with God and then he died, I know which one I would rather have said of me. It's not the only time in Genesis that this phrase is used. In fact, just a few generations later, removed from Enoch, there is the man Noah, whom we know. Genesis 6-9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. That is quite a statement if you really think about it these days too. And he walked faithfully with God. So both Enoch and Noah were described in this way. The author of Genesis is saying something really important about these two men. And we also see later in Genesis that this pattern of behavior wasn't just something that people did, but it was actually something that God desired. 
Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2 says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Walking with God. Enoch and Noah walked faithfully with God. God commanded Abraham to walk before him faithfully. And in fact, later in Genesis, Abraham and his son Isaac were both described as ones who walked faithfully before the Lord. Walking with God. I know I've talked about walking before in some of my messages, in particular uh, the New Testament word peripateo, which is one of my favorite Bible words just to describe going about your life, just as you live, as you walk, as you go about your day to day. But both the Old and New Testament have quite a lot to say about walking. And in these contexts, when the Bible is talking about walking with God, it's referring to that consistent day-in, day-out patterns of our lives. In other contexts, the Bible also talks about finding rest in God, about sitting with God, about dwelling with God, about drawing aside to be with God, and those are really important patterns too, moments that we deliberately set aside to commune with God, to pray, to listen, to abide with Him. But walking with God speaks of making sure that God is a part of everything we do in our day-to-day lives. The Bible uses the term walking to describe something that is common to nearly all of humanity. And I know there are many people who either temporarily, <clears throat> Humphreys, or permanently are unable to walk <laughs> in the very literal sense. But for most, there is some version of walking, whether in our own strength or assisted in some way, that takes place every day of our lives. And yet for something that is so common so ordinary, something we nearly all do, we all have our own version of it, don't we? I mean, there are many aspects of walking that are in common. For example, heel-toe is much more common than toe-heel, and if you want to walk toe-heel for a while, you'll understand that that feels a little bit odd. Or most people, this would be common in walking, most people move the opposite arm when they're stepping. If you, if you want to try walking with your arm, <laughs> you'll find that that's quite odd. Like, we all we all actually do some things about walking in exactly the same way. But there are many other of the mechanics of walking that we all have our own version of. Some are more flat-footed than others. Some toes point in, some point out. We have different stride lengths, different gaits and different angles. We can recognize people by the way that they walk. Technology is even using biometric scanners to confirm the identity of someone in the way they walk. Now, I didn't know if that was actually true because I've only seen it in Mission Impossible, but I looked it up, (laughs) and they do that. It is a thing, and it is quite reliable, something like a 0.007% failure rate or something like that. I know that people definitely walk differently because I've been to the mall before Christmas, (laughs) and some people are in the mall on a mission. They're power walking through that thing, and others apparently have all the time in the world. Have you noticed that the people who seem to have all the time in the world walk six or seven across? And the people who are power walking are just single lane. They're just trying to get around. We also know that if you get the mechanics of walking wrong, it can cause a lot of physical problems later in life for your feet and your hips and your back and so on. When people get injured, whether it's to their legs or maybe even a brain injury, they often have to relearn how to walk. So even though walking is something so commonplace, so ordinary, so regular, 
we actually have to never take it for granted. We have to be aware that how we walk physically impacts our physical well-being. And the same is true in our walk with God. How we walk spiritually day by day affects our spiritual well-being and our future. So what are some of the ways in which the Bible tells us to walk? And now this is not an exhaustive list, but here are just a few uh, passages in Scripture that give us a clue as to how God wants us to walk. And the first two we've actually already seen in these verses. The first way God tells us to walk is with Him, with God in His presence. And those three passages have already given us that, to invite God alongside us in everything we do, to walk in the paths He has set for us, to not set aside time with God as being one thing and living my life as being another thing, but we are to walk, spend our days, go about our lives with God. The second thing from those same passages is that we are to do that faithfully. That's consistent, persistent over a long period of time to be walking in the direction that God has given us. The third one we find is that we're told to walk in obedience. We're to follow his commands. Deuteronomy 5 verse 33 says, walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. That's a good reason to do it, isn't it? So that you can live and prosper and prolong your days. Well, if you want that, then walk in obedience. The fourth thing I found is that we're told to walk by the Spirit. We're to listen to His voice. Galatians 5.16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit and His words for us in our everyday lives. That is how we are to walk. We're also told to walk in humility, that we're to serve God and serve others over ourselves. Micah 6 verse 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There's some ways that God tells us not to walk. We're told in Psalm 1 verse 1, do not walk in the way of the wicked. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. There's a cost to walking with God. It sets us apart. It points us in a different direction. We cannot continue to just walk in the way that others walk. And the second thing that I found that tells us not to walk, we're not to walk in our old ways. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 8. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Walk faithfully with God. There are ways we are to walk, there are ways we are not to walk, but God is asking us to walk faithfully with Him. And this is one of the tracks that I feel strongly God has set before me in 2024. 
And my prayer for myself and for each of you is that this year we will continue to learn what it is to walk with God, to go about our daily lives in His presence, to walk in obedience to His Word, to listen to His voice, to walk by the Spirit, to serve Him and others in humility, to turn away from sin and avoid walking in the wrong direction, to not go back to unhealthy or immoral patterns in our lives, that we would be able to declare over 2024 that we learned to walk faithfully with God, because in the presence of God, we find joy. In the presence of God, we find hope. In the presence of God, we find peace and mercy and grace and fulfillment and forgiving and love and purpose and healing. As I told you at the start of this message, there's another thought that I wanted to share with you today. That would be quite a nice place to finish, I think. We walk with God, we receive all of those things. That sounds good. But there's a second track that I've been thinking about that sits alongside the first. Because while I was reading those passages in Genesis, I was also reading passages in Matthew. And there was something that stood out to me in this particular passage in Matthew 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a few more things happened, but then we jump down to verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is a story many of us know. It's very familiar. I've heard a lot of teaching on it. I've taught from it and preached from it several, several times myself. But there was something in particular that stood out to me as I was reading it this time. So Jesus told the disciples to cross to the other side of the lake, and they did. So the disciples were listening to his voice, right? They were following some of these steps. They were walking in obedience. Great. Jesus got into the boat and they followed him. So they were with him. They were in his presence. They were walking with him. It said that Jesus was sleeping while they were manning the boat. So they were doing the work. They were serving him, they were walking in humility, it would seem. In fact, in this moment, as far as we know, every indicator tells us that the disciples were walking with Jesus, they were walking with God, they were walking in obedience, they were walking by the Spirit, they were walking with humility. All of that's true. That's one of the tracks that they were on. And yet, suddenly, or another way of expressing that is without warning, there was a storm. Not just a storm, a furious storm with waves sweeping over the boat. So I don't know if you see this as interesting as I do, but this is what I see. I see that they were walking with Jesus. They were in the very manifest incarnate presence of God and without warning, suddenly, they were in the midst of a furious storm. Both things were true at the same time. Both tracks were happening in their lives at the same time. They didn't depart from the presence of the Lord and then find themselves in the storm. 
Now, Jesus was right there sleeping in the boat. They were walking with God, their source of joy, their source of hope, their source of peace and grace, and they were in the midst of a storm that brought fear and panic, even to the point where they thought they were going to lose their lives. But Jesus, in his mercy, calmed the storm and brought peace back into the situation. And it really strikes me that there is this duality, this dichotomy in our Christian walk. The presence of God does not, by default, eliminate all of our problems. But he promises to be there with us through them all. David writes about this so beautifully in the most famous of Psalms. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Those are pretty nice descriptions of walking with God. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God's presence is there, but the problems are still there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, that's good, in the presence of my enemies. That's a little bit harder. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David understood the duality of life. He understood what it was to be walking with God and facing a storm. And there are numerous accounts throughout the story of David's life where on the one hand, he was celebrating a victory or hearing from God, but on the other hand, at the same time, he was facing death or loss or persecution. He walked with God even through the darkness. He walked with God even in the presence of his enemies. In the book of John, we read that Jesus told the disciples pretty clearly that this is actually how it was going to be. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Those two sentences right back to back are fascinating to me. In me you will have peace. In me, in, your, in my presence, as you walk with me, as you listen to my voice, as you obey my commands, you will have peace. That's one track that you're on, disciples. But at the same time, on the other track, on this other simultaneous path, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have my presence and you will have trials and difficulties and storms. So this year, 2024, I can see both of these tracks are going to be part of our lives. And I encourage you to determine to walk with God, to put into place around your everyday life practices that will invite the presence of God into every space, every sphere, every relationship, every activity, but at the same time, we acknowledge that there may well be a suddenly, that 2024 may bring a without warning moment, that there may be two tracks in your life, the mountaintops, the joys, the highs, and the valleys, the sorrows, the lows actually happening at the same time. 
Some of you have probably already experienced this already in the few weeks that we've had in 2024. Just last week, I was at a funeral on Thursday morning and another funeral on Friday afternoon. And in between those two events, I was part of a panel of people presenting to the Middleton Grange School staff on the topic of joy. Talk about two tracks happening at the same time. But I encourage you, don't abandon your pursuit of walking with God when the difficulties come. So you have to allow God to speak to you in the storm. It was in the midst of the storm when the disciples were at the end of themselves that Jesus was able to demonstrate in the most powerful way that he is their source of peace. Allow the Spirit of God to minister to you in the midst of your circumstances. Allow the peace of God to calm your fears. And despite the storms that may well be coming on one track of your life, determine that on the other track in your normal ordinary, everyday life, you will choose to walk faithfully with God. I'd like to invite the worship team back. We're going to sing, we're actually going to sing that new song again today. I didn't know we were going to do that when I was thinking about this message. It all happens simultaneously. But while the team's coming up, I'd love to pray with you. And I'd like to invite you to stand if you're able to do so. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord God. Lord, I'm so thankful that, that walking with you is already in its, in its statement a two-way relationship. God, that while you have asked us to walk with you, you have promised that you will be with us. What a glorious thing that we are able to walk with God, that we were able to walk in your very presence. That Jesus has made that possible for all of us. God, we're so thankful. And today we choose again, we look ahead to this year and we make a decision. We determine that we desire to walk faithfully with you. That we will be consistent in that walk. That we will walk with humility. We'll walk in obedience. We will walk by your spirit. We'll listen to your voice. We'll listen to your guidance. We'll obey your commands so that we can walk faithfully with you. But God, at the same time this morning, we just lift up each and every one here knowing that some already have faced a trial, a storm, a problem, a difficulty. Things are already happening in people's lives this year. And for those who are not actually in that space right now, we know that there are possible events, things that are coming around the corner. Some of them are suddenly, some of them are without warning. But Lord, we determine Stay on that track of walking faithfully with you. Praise you, Lord. Lord, I do really just uh, lift up each one now who is already in that, in that place where they know that there, the valley is already present in their lives. In fact, if you're willing, if you are, have already, 2024, you're already facing something that is, that is pretty full on for you, that has been a surprise, or is, whether it's a surprise or not, if you'd be willing to just raise your hand, because I'd just love to pray for you specifically as I pray next. Thank you. Lord, these ones, we just really, our hearts go out to them, but also we cry out to you, Jesus, that you would be with them through the trial. You would be with them in the storm, that your peace that surpasses all understanding would be present with them. And God, we ask for your favor too on each of those situations. Lord, that there would be good outcomes, that there would be things that we would be amazed 
and say, even this situation obeys the Lord. But God, whether the situation is resolved that way or not, we cry out for your presence. We cry out for your peace. We ask that you would be with each one of us as we go about our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.